Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. You are so good to us. God, just as we worship you this morning, may we uh, continue to remember your goodness. Uh, may we remember that you never lie, nor can you. Uh, that you are always trustworthy and true. And even when it seems like our world is falling apart around us, we can cling to you because we've seen you come through in the past and we know you're gonna come through in the future. You are so good and faithful. May that ring in our hearts as true, even when maybe our experiences or what we see around us, we, we might question that. May we know that in our hearts. You are good and faithful and true. In your name we pray. Uh, so if you guys wouldn't mind remaining standing for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Luke 18, uh, starting at verse 9. It says this, uh, he also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Eric, come on up. Pray for Eric as he preaches a little heart out to us. Uh, Jesus, uh, we pray for Eric this morning. Uh, pray that uh, the word would be spoken through him. Uh, may we be pointed to Jesus. Uh, may the word sanctify us this morning as it is preached to this man. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good. There we go. Uh, as Jason said, my name is Eric, and uh, we're continuing our series. It's our core value series. Uh, last week, Jason preached on down, talking about the gospel. And um, we really believe that our core values <clears throat> are really important for all of us to know, to know how to live in community. Because we also believe uh, that uh, as we gather together on Sundays, that we also want to scatter. We want to be able to show how we're living out these values. And so everything starts with the gospel. The gospel uh, is good news, but it, 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 it's also not good advice. It isn't a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, it's not about behavior modification. It's not about uh, trying to do something to, to be a better person. The gospel all starts with Jesus. He has redeemed us. Uh, he saved us. And now we are reconciled and back in, uh, to a right relationship with God. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's where we start today. Uh, today, we're going to uh, go up to our second core value, which is up. And that's being spiritually formed into the image of Christ. That's what UP is all about. We look to Jesus to form us into becoming more like himself. And uh, for introverts here, uh, we also, uh, next week, Jason's going to preach on in. Uh, and this is all about community. This is all about people. This is all about being around people all day, all night, all week. We love it, all right? And so in is really all about community. We want to be uh, a church uh, that really in invest in in people, uh, in the neighborhood, in the community, and uh, we only do this by actually meeting together. Uh, no more on Skype, uh, but we're actually face-to-face. -face. That's the good news. All right, and then uh, I'm going to wrap us up with Out. Out is all about mission. 
We want to be a church that's on mission, that's loving people well, that's loving people where they're at, uh, and being able to uh, really see the kingdom of God grow in front of us, uh, whether it's in our communities, whether it's in our workplaces, or in the city. And so today, as we look it up, I've got a question for us. Do you guys ever find it easy to judge people? Um, or do you ever find it easy to compare yourself to other people? <clears throat> I know for me, it's very natural for me to do that. It's natural for me to compare myself to other people. Uh, for example, I'm getting older, all right? And some of you guys knew me in college. Um, I wasn't very good at basketball in college, and I'm probably worse now, all right? And so I like to play basketball sometimes. And what I'll do, though, is I'm going to compare myself on the basketball court to other people. All right, if I see someone like Jason, I'm locking that dude down, okay? I'm going to guard him, and I'm going to feel good about myself, all right? I'm going to be a little prideful, I'm going to be a little arrogant. I'm going I'm to stare him down a little bit. But I'm not going to guard their best guy, all right? If I see their best guy, their second best guy, their third best guy, I'm not going near him, all right? I compare myself, and I want to feel good about myself. All right, another example. I'm a parent. I know you guys are parents out there. Um, it's easy for me to judge uh, other parents, all right? If you're in Walmart or if you're uh, at Target, and uh, you see uh, kids misbehaving. You, 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 you kind of feel good about yourself. You're like, man, I'm, I'm a good parent. My kids would never disrespect me like that. All right, it's natural for me to do that. Now, the other thing is, it's natural for me to do is, I love my kids, all right? And my kids um, uh, are, are um, they're a little competitive, all right? They get that from me. But my son James has just started doing BMX racing. And uh, the first thing I taught him is, if you're not first, you're last. All right, and so I want to make sure that he wins every time. And so when he's lining up, I want him to have fun, but I compare him to other kids. I see um, Pete or I see Matt letting line up against him, and I'm like, I want my son to win. All right, and I want to teach him how to beat those kids. All right, I'm comparing and judging other kids uh, that are four years old, five years old, and that's, that's, that, that's a sin. Okay, I'm messing that up really bad. All right. And so, but I think on the other end, there's other ways that we compare ourselves. There's other ways that we judge people, right? We may look at certain people and say, man, that's Sarah. She has it all together. She never messes up. She's a perfect mom. And, like, I just, I feel bad about myself. Like, she, I just, I wish I could get to her level. All right, that's another way. We elevate other people above ourselves. And I think what we do when we do that is we're either judging people for the, in the wrong manner or we're elevating them above ourselves. And so, whether or not we judge or compare, we are either bringing ourselves down and elevating others, or we are elevating ourselves above other people. And there's a lie that we believe, all right? The lie that we believe is, man, I'm never going to be good enough. Uh, the lie may be, um, I'm never going to be able to get it together. I wish I was better. But then the other side, we look at people and say, they're the issue. They're the problem. Uh, if they weren't living their life like that, our country would be better. We judge other people, and we say they are the problem. The lie that we believe is that we are better than other people. And so, so we see this tension in this text this morning. Um, we see in the parable uh, that Jesus teaches with the Pharisee and the tax collector, we see two people um, that have, um, their hearts are really on display. And we see how they pray. We see how they are interacting with God. The Pharisee, uh, he's all about his own agenda. All right, thank you, God, for making me awesome. Thank you for making me perfect. Uh, I'm not going to pray thy will be done. I'm going to pray my will be done. Um, he's really all about his praise. And he loves God because of what he can get from God, what, what status he can get. And God sees right through that, which means he doesn't love him at all. And then we see <clears throat> the tax collector. The tax collector understood his position. 
He knew he wasn't good. He knew he wasn't right. He knew he wasn't God's gift to earth. And, uh, and he, he confessed that. And I think when we view ourselves through the lens of the gospel, we are going to see that the gospel is the only thing that's going to shape our spiritual formation. Y'all can say amen to that. All right? So the spiritual formation being formed in, uh, in Jesus only comes from the gospel. And as we see the Pharisees, all about his goodness. He's all about his awesomeness, if that's a word. He's all about himself. And we see a huge difference between gospel-centered change and religious behavior modification. I want to read this real quick, but moralistic religion basically says that I'm going to obey God so that he's going to love me. All right, let me say that again. Moralistic religion would say that I'm going to love God so that he will love me, that he'll accept me, that he will give me what I want. And you kind of see the attention there. You see the, um, uh, you kind of see the struggle there. Our relationship with God must go much deeper than that. Our relationship with God uh, has to be a response that overflows out of the goodness, out of the grace, out of the love, out of the truth of the gospel. And so as we have experiences with Jesus, true, genuine experiences with Jesus, what we're going to see is that Jesus becomes the hero of our story. We don't blame other people. We don't look to other people. We don't judge other people. We don't compare ourselves to other people. But we believe that Jesus is the hero of the story, and we're going to become more like him. And so the tax collector's response is our core value. It's our, it's our up value. It's knowing that we need God, that we're in, um, in, in a place that we cannot get out of. Only God can help us out of it. So our first point again is, is this. The gospel shapes our spiritual formation. Now, in my family right now, um, we are trying to teach our kids uh, that uh, we, we want them to know, obviously, that we love them. But we also want them to know that God loves them as well. And there's nothing that they can do uh, to, 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 um, to, to basically have us not love them. Or there's nothing they can do. Uh, they don't have to behave a certain way. I mean, we want them to behave a certain way. But they don't have uh, to uh, behave a certain way. They don't have to perform. They don't have to uh, necessarily always obey us. Uh, but we want them to know that God's love for them is the same. We want them to know that when God sees them, he sees them. Um, with, 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 with a father's heart, with a mother's heart. And they don't have to, um, to have behavior modification. It's all about heart transformation. And again, with the gospel, we believe that only this can happen uh, when our lives are spiritually formed. And so the good news, first of all, uh, this is the good news, is that it's, it's, it's also for the good and the bad. All right? It's for both groups of people. The gospel is for the rebellious and the rule followers. The gospel is for people that are willfully living their lives apart from God, but it's also for the people that are rule followers. You got any rule followers in here? Anyone that loves to follow the rules? Um, and it also is for people that want to impress God. Maybe some of us want uh, to get something out of God. God, the gospel, is going to free us from those things. Last week, Jason preached on in his 20s. He lived... Um, away from God. He grew up in the church, and uh, he realized that, um, man, he had a little um, crisis in his faith, and he walked away for a little bit. And so I, I say that to say, for me in my 20s, I actually lived like a Pharisee, all right? I, I really based everything on, okay, so God's going to love me and accept me if I do this, this, and this. And I, I say this, so I, I share this because I think both of these are equally harmful. Both of these stories that you have in their 20s are harmful, all right, I was not attracting a lot of people to Jesus. Jason wasn't attracting a lot of people to Jesus. I wasn't attracting a lot of people to Jesus because it's all about behavior modification. Now, I've got two girls, and um, 
Man, they're still young enough that I can, I can uh, share these stories with you guys. Uh, when they get older, they may not like this. They may not appreciate it. But um, I have two girls, and they have two very different personalities. The first one is Rylan. Do you see Rylan on, on, on there? There she is. Oh, you guys can say all. Okay. So Rylan is not afraid to get in trouble. All right? She's our girl that is not afraid to get in trouble. She represents... Um, just basically someone that wants to get away with things and not take responsibility for it, all right? And so uh, this week, she uh, got into some things. She got into some markers. She drew on herself, and she actually drew all over her sheets, okay? Mommy was not very happy about that. And as we talked to her, we said, Rylan, did you draw on your sheets? We wanted her to come clean. We wanted to give her some time to confess. And um, believe it or not, um, she lied. Um, she <laughs> She began to blame every single person in the room. She said, it was daddy that did it. And I'm like, I didn't do it. I'm Rylan. All right, who did you do it? No, it was, she began to blame every sibling. She blamed uh, Jaden. She blamed James, Avery. The only person she didn't blame was herself and her mom. I don't know why she didn't blame her mom. Um, but, but she blamed everyone else but her and her mother. All right, and so, again, I explained this because this is someone that, um, uh, even though she's four years old, three years old, she wants to get away with messing up. And I think there's no difference whether you're 25, 3, 50, 60. We blame other people, all right? And so when it, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to life, we look at things and we say, well, it's that person's fault. Or if, if this wouldn't have happened to me. And so this is us living apart from God. Now, I got another girl, Avery, all right? And this girl, um, she is much different than Rylan, all right? She's a rule follower. She's a leader. When, when you meet her, you know that she's the oldest, all right? She reminds me a little bit of Sadie, all right? Sadie's not even the oldest, but, but, but Sadie acts like she's the oldest, Jason's oldest daughter. So if you spend time with her, you're going to see that she likes things to be fair. Now, this picture that we have up here, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were at Panera, all right? Let me set this thing up for us. I was uh, buying some stuff for the kids. Terry was watching the kids. Then when I came back, I had a cookie and I had a croissant, and I started to... Uh, separates equally the croissant. Well, then Terry had to go somewhere. I had to go somewhere uh, real quick. And so as I was picking something up, uh, I see Avery sitting there with the cookie in her hand, all right? And I can tell exactly what's happening. What's happening is she doesn't want the other kids to eat the cookie. She wants to wait till I get back and separate it out four different ways uh, that it's all equal, all right? Because she's all about fairness. She's all about following the rules. My other kids would have smashed the cookie and not even cared, okay? So it's a good thing we have Avery. If we want to know what actually happened, we always ask Avery, Avery, what happened? And she'll tell us the truth. And so with Avery, what I want to share with her is she's a rule follower, okay? She knows the difference between right and wrong. Um, but I think sometimes as rule followers, uh, sometimes we, we forget that maybe, maybe we, we, we think we're too good or that, like, we don't need the gospel, that we are good enough. And so what the gospel is saying is showing for both people, hey, um, this is what the truth is. You need, your hearts need to be aligned with me. Your hearts need to be, um, uh, you, you need to confess me. Uh, and not not depend on you or on your heart. And so the two girls that I have are sh are really good represent representatives of uh, you can you can live a moralistic lifestyle, you can follow the rules, you can be a, a rebel. But I think both of those are equally um, they are equally dangerous uh, with our faith. And so as we read John 18, we're gonna continue, we're gonna see this again. I, I just want to point this out that both the religious and the rebellious need the gospel equally. So John 18, we're going to start in verse 10 this time. It says this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now remember, the Pharisee is saying, hey, I do everything right. I'm good. People look up to me. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big deal. People like me. All right? And so <clears throat> he thinks that he's fair. He thinks that he's right. But what God is actually saying is that you have no grace. You have no humility. You have no mercy. Um, you're not, you, you could care less about other people. And Jesus is telling him, you are spiritually dead on the inside. Uh, you are spiritually dead. And if you don't love people, then you're not, you cannot love me. All right? You cannot love people. And if you don't love people, you cannot love God. Uh, because, again, he has shown no mercy, no grace, and no humility. And in college, this, this actually reminds me of a story in college. I worked with, I worked with a guy that um, he owned his own business. He went to my church. Um, he, was a, he was an elder in the church. He was on the finance team. He was, a, he was on the stewardship team. He was on every committee you can be on. All right? He, was his own, he owned his own business. He was a hard worker. And every time I saw him, I mean, we, we were, I had respect for him. We were good friends. Um, and uh, I asked him, I said, hey, I got about six months left here. I need to get a job. Can I work for you? He said, sure. So I worked for him. And as I started working for him, I started uh, getting to know some of the coworkers. And one of the coworkers said, hey, um, I could tell that you know the guy. Um, how do you know uh, the, the, uh, the business owner? I said, well, he goes to church. Uh, with me. He's been going to church there forever. And I remember just the way he looked at me. He said, he goes to church? I said, yeah. Um, yeah, he's pretty involved in the church. And uh, he began to tell me, if that's what Christianity is, I want nothing to do with it. Because what, what was happening was this business owner didn't love his employees. He didn't treat them right. Uh, he wasn't a fair boss. Um, and, he, and, and he treated people harshly. He didn't show them love. And again, the coworker was like, I want nothing to do with Christianity if that's what it's about. Now, I began a relationship with the guy. We connected. We hung out. And one of the things I noticed about him was with this coworker, he knew he was, he was in the wrong. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he needed a God. He knew uh, that uh, he wasn't going to fake who he was. He knew who he was. And in a lot of ways, his heart was a lot like the tax collector. In a lot of ways, he lived his life like the tax collector. He knew he needed Jesus. And so he knew, that he, he knew that he needed the gospel. And when it comes to the gospel, we're not trying to go, again, from bad to good. We're not trying to go from unchurched to the church. We realize that we bring nothing to the table to a holy God. There's nothing we can offer God. There's no resume that's going to bring us favor. All right? And so we have two people in this text that needs God's grace equally. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Man, so what this text is telling us, guys, is that the gospel shapes who we are becoming. What shapes us is what we turn our affections to. So whether we are turning ourselves to the world, um, we're going to begin to look like that. If we turn our affections to God, to Jesus, we're going to begin to look more like Jesus. And it's, it's still like Kansas City, we want to celebrate the gospel. We want to celebrate lives changed. And one of the guys I want to highlight uh, is Andrew. Andrew's a guy uh, that he comes to our staff meetings uh, every Monday or every Tuesday now. And uh, he does a good job of just giving us insights, giving us ideas, giving us ways to think through um, how to do church better. 
Um, he's a guy that serves on the worship team now. He's a guy that his life has tr- been transformed from the gospel, all right? Knowing him two years ago, uh, God has began a, a work in his life, and he's going to continue to do that glory, degree to, degree to degree, from glory to glory. And we're all going through that. And what I love about the gospel is that it doesn't look at culture. It transcends between the two. It transcends between color, young, old, poor, rich, good, bad. Whatever political affiliate you are, the gospel brings all those groups of people together. And we're no better than anyone else. God has made a way for all people to come to his table. God has made a way for us to commune with him. We get to do that. We get to share communion later today. And it's just a a picture of God's kingdom, seeing people come together from all backgrounds, all races, knowing that we are part of one family, one body. Amen. That's good news. Philippians 1.6 says this, And he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion. You know, we have people in our church that have, have been doing a great job of helping serve <clears throat> not just our church but our community. Uh, we've got Keenan in the back. He's, he's been a huge blessing. His wife, his whole family, they've been here, um, and they've just done wonders for our church. And we're thankful because we know that the gospel has brought, a, brought them here. And we've got people in our community now that are, that are continuing to be a part of this church, and they want to show the love of Christ. And we thank, we're so thankful for that. And so as we, as we go to uh, our point number two, I want us to begin to think about a couple things. I want us to realize that, there, again, there is a process that, that, that takes place that shapes us into Christ. That the gospel shapes us into Jesus become the pattern of our lives. And the gospel is a prototype that we follow and we begin to be shaped into him. And so when we're shaped into Christ, what that means is that we need spiritual disciplines to be able to do that. As we're shaped into his his, into his image, we see, we take on his joy, we take on the fruit of the spirit, we take on, uh, our faith takes on another level, and we begin to look more and more like Jesus, but this happens because we're disciplined. And one of the disciplines that will happen is that we begin to serve others around us. When, when we're disciplined through, through the gospel, we engage our culture. And if you don't know what engagement means, it means that, that we're there, we're, we're not trying to hide people from what the culture looks like. We're right there in schools. We're right there in the communities. We're right there uh, hand in hand showing them uh, the love of Christ. It means that we're given our time, our money. We're given our influence. And when we're spiritually disciplined, we're going to be able to live lives that are holy. They look different than other people's lives. People will ask, why aren't you like that? Why don't you live that way? Why don't you talk like that? Why do you, why do you live like that? <clears throat> so my question is, what will it take for us to pursue Christ's likeness today? What will it take for us to be disciplined? Um, and so that's, that's our second point, is our spiritual, our, our, the gospel shapes our spiritual disciplines. This is a big one. And I want to explain this real quick too. So one of the things we have to understand is that the Pharisee, they did things, the, they actually did things the right way on paper. If you look at it, the Pharisees, um, these were people that they did fast. It is true that they did tithe. It is true that they did know their Bible. On paper, they were, um, they, had, they had the right resume. But the problem is what Jesus was saying was their hearts were far from God. So they were doing the right things but with the wrong motives. And the tax collector, he was doing wrong things. He knew he was doing wrong things, but his heart was in the right place when he was confessing what he was doing. 
And so the, the, the issue is, when I read this, I, I don't ever have a good outlook on Pharisees. And the paradox here is that Jesus doesn't want us to judge the Pharisee, lest we be, lest we be judged. So it's funny that we're, we're judging. It's easy for me to judge the judger, but I'm doing the same thing the Pharisees are doing. All right? So that's the paradox here is that Jesus wants to make sure that we don't condemn the Pharisees or that we don't judge them. And so... Through that, what that means is we have to be spiritually disciplined. We have to look at ourselves and say, you know what? It's really not about what other people are doing. It's not about us blaming. It's not about us um, just trying to um, even, even judge other people. It's really about us being disciplined in our faith. And so spiritual formation looks different, okay? And I know we, did, we, did, we just did a talk on the rule of life. And we, we obviously have a desire to change. We have a desire to not compare ourselves to other people. And I don't want to just, like, list off, here's what you have to do to, be, uh, to have spiritual disciplines. But what I want to do is I want to I ask, how are we practicing spiritual, spiritual disciplines? What does it look like when we are reading Scripture, when we're memorizing Scripture, when we're waking up in the morning and we're seeing the sunrise or we're seeing the sunset? What are some ways that we are being spiritually disciplined and knowing God, and knowing his word, and knowing that his word is, is a lamp to our feet, is guiding us. It's good news. What are we doing to, to really take time and pray? Uh, to maybe even like write out a little uh, a verse on a note card and read it before you go to your next meeting, or read it before you go to bed. What are some spiritual disciplines that we can do to give sacrificially of our time? What are some things we can do to help other people out? You know, um, uh, my neighbor didn't realize this, but one time uh, I, I was serving my neighbor without any sort of money or, or any, any, I was doing it out of the kindness of my heart. But the reality was, as I was serving my neighbor, it was a Sunday, the Chiefs were playing the Broncos and it wasn't going very well. I was really upset, all right, and so I was like, I got to get out of here. And so I began to help my neighbor out, and he was so, so, so thankful. He was so shocked, so surprised. And so I tell you that because it's really about our hearts, too. We have to understand, like, are we doing this for the right reason? Or are we doing this because we're angry? Are we doing this uh, for reward? And so the more time that we spend with God, it's not, a, it's not about us trying to impress God or impress others. But we want to honor Jesus. We want to honor God with our lives and with our talents. And so when I'm preparing this sermon, i got to be honest, here's ways that I failed this week uh, in my spiritual disciplines. Is Rather than like prepare for this sermon over and over again, um, I probably spent a little bit too much time away from my family. I, I came home, it was still on my head, and it was, it was something that I was trying to get out on paper. And instead of helping my wife out, who was with the kids all day, um, she's like, hey, you need, to, you need to disconnect from that. You need to disconnect from your phone. You need to disconnect from work. And so these are things that I have failed in. Uh, but I, I just realized that I need to put the phone down. And spiritual disciplines are not going to make your life easy, okay? Is it easy to run 10 miles? I mean, for some people it might be, but who, who wants to run 10 miles? When you're, when you're disciplined and doing certain things, it's going to be hard, okay? If you want to eat healthy, um, if you want to be on a diet, you want to do a whole 30, uh, who wants to do that? It's hard to, to not be able to eat a cheeseburger, all right, for a whole month or for a whole year. When we're disciplining ourselves and we're working out, discipline isn't going to always be easy, but it's always worth it. And so with the spiritual disciplines, what it does is it allows us to line our wills up, our will with God's will. It really shows us a new perspective. It gives us a perspective that's not about us, that's not about the world, but it's all about God's kingdom. So as we begin to wrap this up, I want us to think about this too. I want to I emphasize that with spiritual disciplines, it's really a work of the Holy Spirit. When we are being filled up, when we are disciplined in ourselves, what it is, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that God has given us the power through his son, Jesus Christ, 
but he's also given us his Holy Spirit. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit that we can be empowered to continue the work of his kingdom. That's the good news is when we're serving God, we're serving his kingdom. Jesus laid down his life for us, and this is a living picture of the gospel. So with our spiritual disciplines, I also, I do want to share just some, just some examples of what it looks like to be spiritually disciplined, but also giving people a picture of the gospel. All right, so if you're married, uh, have, having, having, a, having a, a, a spouse, um, this, is, this is a picture of the gospel, knowing how you love each other, showing each other how it's not about trying to, to, trying to win an argument or try, win a fight, but really being able to, to love selfish, selflessly. I think parenting is a big picture. You know, you can tell I'm a judger of parents. But um, when, we, when, when we parent people well, or when we parent our kids well and they don't disrespect us, it's a picture of the gospel whenever we do it, not, not in anger, but we do it in love. And when we do it constantly, whenever, whenever we're right there holding their hands. When we give generously, giving generously is a picture of the gospel. Whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, whether it's us listening to people, um, a picture of the gospel is whenever we get out of, step out of our way and, and, and we help someone out without any, without any, um, without any, any other transaction. We don't want them to give us something because we're doing something for them. And so the gospel becomes a very pattern of our lives and it allows us to be shaped into the image of Christ. And again, I know some of us here are good arguers. Some of us probably uh, always um, can win fights. And some of us are like, man, I wish I would have said that. Like 10 minutes later, you wish you would have said that. But I think when, even with arguments uh, with, with your friends, with your family, uh, what is it that we can do uh, to not lose arguments but to show people that, hey, we love you. You are more important than this argument. As we close up, guys, I, I believe that our faith in the gospel is what solidifies our relationship with Jesus. Our faith in the gospel is what solidifies our relationship with God. It's what shows people, here's our hearts, here's who we are, here's why we're different. And we must be willing to accept and pay and believe that this gift of salvation is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. That the spiritual disciplines that we practice, that we put in place, is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so as we pray, may we reflect on what it means to be motivated and shaped into the image of Christ. May we, may we, may we really think about the gospel. May, may we be able to think about the good news of what Christ has done for us. May we understand deeper what it means to be a follower. Because anything outside the gospel is a false savior. Anything that we run towards uh, that isn't about Jesus, that makes us despondent to other people, um, is, is something that it, this also can push people away uh, from the church. All right? And so with the gospel, we believe that it's our only hope. And it's not about following rules. It's not about living a certain way to, to get something that you want. Uh, but it's freely saying, hey, God, here I am. I need your help. When I'm preaching this message I'm saying, God, I can't do this. I need your help, all right? And so um, just as we wrap up, as, as, we, as we close, I want us to, again, just think about, man, what are some ways this week um, that we can really line our, our wills up with God's? May we be spiritually disciplined. May we understand. May we humbly come to the throne and say, God, here I am. Please use me. You don't have to use me. You don't need me, all right? But your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll transition into communion. So we say, Lord, man, we just, we just thank you again just for your gospel. Thank you for spiritually forming us into the image of your son. Thank you for allowing us to know that it's not about us, but it's really all about you. And we just ask, Lord, that you would continue, uh, man, just to, 
Uh, allow us to thrive uh, through your spirit. Allow us to thrive um, through your grace. And uh, may we be um, a people that have our hearts set on you. May we not be about our own kingdom. May we not be about our own will being done. May we, may we know you. May we truly trust you. To Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a, our next time is we're going to transition to communion. And this is a time for uh, believers to really examine their hearts and just to understand who we are in front of a holy God. And so we want to take time. I just want to explain again quickly. Um, communion, it, it's really a, a rep- we do this in remembrance of, of what Christ has done for us. And so we look at the bread and we say it's the body that was broken. Uh, it's Jesus' body broken uh, for us. And the blood um, represented by the juice that we take is, is, is the blood that was shed for us. It was the blood that was shed for our sins so that we can be in a right relationship with God. So as we take time uh, just to think about what that means, the weightiness of that, uh, may we also rejoice in all that uh, Jesus has done. And, uh, and we just want to thank you again, Lord, for this time. Thank you that we can come together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.